Chapter 17 of Pollyanna's Jewels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eleonora Bettenzoli, Milan. Pollyanna's Jewels by Harriet Lummis Smith. Shadows. The mercy of God hangs a curtain between today and tomorrow, that the present joy may not be shadowed by coming disaster. Pollyanna had been congratulating herself on the family health record for the winter, when an epidemic of influenza broke out with almost the virulence of its first appearance this side of the Atlantic. Querulous voices in the nursery brought Pollyanna upstairs one afternoon, with the full expectation of acting in a judicial capacity. But almost immediately she realized that, instead, the services of a good Samaritan were required. Inez Richards was occupying Judy's little rocking chair, and something in her appearance held Pollyanna's attention captive from the instant of her entry. She crossed the room and touched the child's flushed cheeks. Ness lifted her heavy eyes. Your hands feel nice and cool, she murmured. Mother's hands feel gooder than other folks' hands. Mother, Ness won't play nice, complained Junior. Every time she gets started, she stops. I don't believe Ines feels so very well, soothed Pollyanna. I think you'd better go home, dear, and I'll go with you. And I'll go too, shouted Junior, forgetting his resentment in his elation over the prospect of a walk with his mother. No, my son, today I'm going to leave you to take care of Judy and the baby. Oh dear, grumbled Junior. I wish I didn't have any sisters. Girls are fierce. Somebody always has to be taking care of them. Disregarding his ill temper, Pollyanna helped Ines into her coat and put on her rubbers, as the child seemed incapable of doing it for herself. Her brave optimism had a hard fight against her growing anxiety. She blamed herself for not discovering earlier that Inez was really ill. The walk to the Richards' house, though not long, was difficult. Clutching Pollyanna's hand tightly, Inez dragged herself along, stopping at frequent intervals to complain of her back, or her head, or her stomach. Pollyanna's relief at reaching the house was quickly tempered by the discovery that the door was locked, and, though she rang the bell long and often, its summons brought no response. The door of the next house opened, and a woman came out upon the porch. There's nobody home there, she said, and it's not likely there will be for an hour at least. Did you want to see Mrs. Richards? 
I want to get Inez into the house, Pollyanna explained crisply. She's feeling sick. The woman looked commiseratingly at this small girl, sitting on the topmost step, her head bowed to her knees. It's a perfect shame, she sputtered. Mrs. Richards is always saying what a wonderful maid she has, but that girl goes out nearly every afternoon and doesn't come back till it's just time to get dinner. I've often wondered how poor little Ines managed, locked out of her own house. Pollyanna might have enlightened her, but did not. Instead, she went to one of the windows opening on the porch, tried it and found it locked. She tried its twin with the same result. If you know Mrs. Richards well enough to go into her house when she's not there, hazarded the neighbor, there's a side window that isn't fastened, or at least I'm pretty sure it isn't. It's rather high up, but I've got a tall stepladder. If I see somebody's house on fire, Pollyanna replied tersely, I don't have to know her especially well to break in and put the fire out, and this case is very similar. Shall I help you carry over the stepladder? The neighbor's presentment that the side window was unlocked proved correct. Standing on top of a somewhat wobbly ladder, Pollyanna raised the window without difficulty. Pulling herself over the ledge was more difficult of accomplishment, and at one time, the neighbor, seeing only a pair of feet kicking frantically, gave utterance to ear-piercing screams due to a not unnatural impression that Pollyanna had landed on her head. Her fears were quieted, however, by the prompt appearance of Pollyanna at the window, right side up. I am not hurt, she announced. Thank you ever so much. Now I'll let Inez in and make her as comfortable as I can till somebody comes. The time of waiting was longer than Pollyanna has anticipated, though she made good use of most of it. Clearly bad was the place for a child as sick as Ines, and after a very brief hesitation, Pollyanna undressed her and put her to bed. Then she bathed the flushed little face and did other motherly services, listening all time for sounds below stairs indicating the return of one of Ines's natural protectors. She was growing nervous over her prolonged absence, and yet to leave Ines alone was out of the question. The front door opened at last, and footsteps sounded in the hall below. Pollyanna hurried down the stairs and found herself confronting Mr. Richards, who greeted her with a not unnatural surprise. Before she had finished her explanation, she found herself very sorry for him, for the color had risen in waves to the roots of his hair. Sorry that you should have put yourself to so much trouble. Inez is rather subject to these sick attacks. Indigestion, I imagine. Perhaps that's all, Pollyanna hesitated, and then added, 
if it were one of my children, I should call the doctor. But, of course, Mrs. Richards will know better than I whether it's anything to be worried about. I'm afraid my wife won't be home too late tonight, said Mr. Richards. They have hired an accountant to come in the evenings to help them straighten out their finances. And the more they try to get them straight, the more tangled they seem. Pollyanna murmured her regret, though, if the truth be told, she was thinking less of Mrs. Richard's financial difficulties than of the child upstairs, turning restlessly on her hot pillow. My wife's a bright woman, insisted Mr. Richards, as if he challenged her to deny it. And so is that Miss Rossiter she calls her partner. But the trouble is, they weren't satisfied to begin at the beginning. My wife never knew where her money went to. And Miss Rossiter doesn't even know what money means. Some of you women forget that people need a preparatory training for business, just as much as they would for a profession. Um, I'm afraid I shall have to go home now, Mr. Richards, said Pollyanna, who, however much she might have sympathized with Mr. Richards' grievance ordinarily, had on this occasion given him scant attention. And I hope you'll excuse my entering your house so unceremoniously. Mr. Richards blushed again, and Pollyanna realized that he had expressed his disapproval of his wife's business methods in order to hide a heart he could not discuss with a stranger. Oh, there's nothing to excuse, Mrs. Pendleton, but there's a good deal to thank you for. I realize you have been mothering my little girl. Thank you for it. I'm more truly grateful than I can say. As Pollyanna passed the Lloyd's house on her away home, she saw a doctor's runabout standing before it and wondered whether Philip were ill. And next day, Cornelia Hunt, from the back doorstep, called to Junior that Arthur was sick, and the doctor had just left. He has got a temper. Arthur has, announced Cornelia, clearly proud of the distinction. A hundred and three, the doctor said. My mother would spank me if I had a hundred and three tempers, sniffed Junior, by way of taking the wind out of her sails. Well, this is different. The doctor puts something like a stick of candy in your mouth, only it ain't to eat, and then you have just as many tempers as he says, and you don't get spanked for him neither. Pollyanna, watching her little flock with unwanted solicitude, told herself again and again that there was no reason to be anxious. It was undeniable that there was a great deal of illness. As a general thing, the newspapers made light of the situation, but every now and then some terrifying news item appeared amid all the bland optimism, like 
an ugly face peering out from behind the curtain. Pollyanna assured herself that little was to be feared for children as healthy as hers, and as far as possible she kept them away from their usual playmates. Inez had proved to have influenza, but the doctor considered it a light case. One morning, Junior woke in a grumpy mood. His answer to his mother's greeting was so nearly a grunt that she promptly felt his forehead and looked at his tongue. Then, convinced that Junior was in need of moral, not physical, supervision, she suggested that his uh, gruff good morning left much to be desired. I almost thought you must be sick when you spoke to mother that way. Junior squirmed. I said good morning. Do you want me to say good good morning? I think you know what mother means, Junior. Now, when you say good morning to daddy, try to make some pleasant remark to go with it. Junior was honestly impressed, and when he encountered his father five minutes later, he made a brave effort to act on his mother's injunction. Good morning, daddy. God forgive you. Well, I like that, cried the astonished Jimmy. What have I done now? He continued to look a little suspicious, even after Pollyanna had hastily explained that this unexpected addition to the conventional greeting was Junior's idea of being pleasant. But, though Junior ate his customary hearty breakfast, later in the day he showed a moodiness quite unlike him. Pollyanna was seldom far from the nursery these days, and on one occasion she heard Junior inquire, Judy, if I climbed up on the table and fell off, would you laugh? <laughs> yes, said Judy with a tantalizing gurgle of amusement. But maybe it would harm me awful, Junior cried. Maybe it would break my arms, my legs, knock out all my teeth, and bump my head and make my nose bleed. Boys falling off tables look funny, jiggled Judy. Maybe it would kill me, screamed Junior in desperation. He began to cry noisily. Mother, he roared. If I fell off the table and got killed, Judy would laugh. Pollyanna's laughter was the last straw. He threw himself into her arms and wept with the abandon of one who has lost the last vestige of faith in humankind. Pollyanna soothed him and then decided to take his temperature. The rite was not a frequent one for she dreaded above all things encouraging in her children an introspective attitude regarding their physical condition. But Junior recognized at once the ceremony to which Cornelia Hunt had referred, and when his mother removed the thermometer, he asked eagerly, Have I got a temper, mother? Oh, a very slight one. Arthur Hunt's got a hundred and three tempers. Have I got a hundred and three tempers, mother? Oh, dear. No. Junior began to cry. That all 
Arthur Hunt. He thinks he can beat me every time, he sobbed. I'm going to have a hundred and eleventy tempers and beat him. Holler. Pollyanna's heart sank. Such a reasonableness was by no means characteristic of Junior, and his ready tears showed, even more plainly, that something was wrong. She found one of their favorite storybooks and began reading to him. And when he climbed upon her lap and laid his head on her shoulder, she could not find it in her heart to put him down, though he was too heavy to hold, and the other children plainly disapproved of the arrangement. The baby uttered shrill whistle-like streaks, and Judy eyed her brother with unutterable scorn. You don't look a bit nice, Junior, she informed him. Your legs are lots too long, aren't they, mother? An hour later, Junior's temperature showed a rise, though he was disappointed to find he still fell below Arthur Hunt's 103 tempers. His sense of importance revived when his mother gently suggested his going to bed. It was necessary first to reassure himself on one point. You aren't sending me to bed because I'm bad, are you, mother? Why? No, darling. I think you're not feeling quite yourself, and bed is such a good place for people who aren't very well. Now it's all bad, Junior agreed, allowed himself to be led away. A little later, his mother called the doctor over the phone, only to hear he had been out nearly all day, but that they would give him her message as soon as he came in. When Jimmy reached home, Jiggs was whining at the front door, stopping every now and then to utter one of those peremptory barks which expressed his sense of outrage over being kept waiting. When the door was opened, he bolted in ahead of his master and up the stairs. Judy and the baby were in the dining room, and Jimmy stopped to kiss them before looking for Pollyanna. As he went upstairs, he met a discomfited Jiggs coming down. A Jiggs was a resourceful animal. As Jimmy passed him, Jiggs turned and again ascended the stairs, keeping so close to his master heels that he seemed part of his shadow. Pollyanna was in the upper hall, and Jimmy at once began to tell his news. There's a creep on the door of the house at the corner. It wasn't there this morning, so... Why? What's the matter? He had just caught sight of her face. Junior is sick, Pollyanna said very quietly. The doctor hasn't been able to get here yet, though I've phoned twice. There's a great deal of sickness at scenes, and the doctors are terribly rushed. She turned quickly toward the bedroom. Will you please take Jiggs down, Jimmy, and see he doesn't get upstairs again tonight. He seems to worry, Junior. Crestfallen, 
a resentful Jiggs, followed his master. Two had come up the stairs, but three went down. At Jimmy's side, keeping step with him, moved one who was to be his inseparable companion for many a day. The chilling presence of fear. End of chapter 17